0: This series that we are in, counterculture, and we are in the third part of this series, counterculture, because uh, the kingdom of God is counterintuitive to the way of the world. And uh, when Jesus came, uh, what he was establishing on earth was counterintuitive to the Roman Empire at the time, and it was counterintuitive to the religious elite of that day, which, which ultimately led to a moment in time where they, the re- religious elite and the Roman Empire together decided we need to kill this man. And, uh, and they tried, uh, but three days later, come on somebody. Uh, and uh, so he has conquered death, hell, and the grave, he conquered the Roman Empire by establishing a new kingdom that is not of this world. And so we are part of a kingdom that's not of this world, which means we, are t- we, are, we live in the world but not of the world. But there's a tension that lies because it is counterintuitive to the ways of our current culture. So in part one of the series, we asked the question, what is truth? And what, what I want you to know is that, that there is truth. You can discover truth. And uh, and so if you and we, we talked about that in part one, last week in part two, we talked about this this countercultural issue of race. We talked about race relations last week, and that race is uh, is really a worldly point of view that the world wants to categorize people um, a lot of times by the color of their skin, by their ethnicity. And so we said, okay, we, uh, we want to be biblical in how we see race. You see, racism, a lot of it came from the philosopher uh, of, of Darwin and Darwinism. Darwinism taught for years and years that different races developed at different times and at different rates. So some races were more developed than other races. Darwinism was, was fundamentally racist in that way, that certain races were underdeveloped. I mean, it's, it's wrong. What we know about racism is that racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And what we, what we learned last week was, was that, that race, that we are a part of one race, the human race, And we we don't downplay what people go through when they are prejudiced, find prejudice against them. We're sensitive to that. But in the body of Christ, we recognize we're one race. That God put all the DNA that was necessary for all of humanity, and he put it in Adam. And scripture says, from one man came all the nations of the world, so from one man, Adam, so what we then know is Adam wasn't white. Adam was probably like very middle brown, and he had all the DNA necessary to make all the, the different skin uh, tones of the world. Um, I am not white. This is white, okay? And I'm thinking you're not white either. We're all some tone of brown, Mike. We're all some tone of brown because we all came from Adam. Adam. And at the Tower of Babel, when God confused the language and he he separated people groups, what happened was it then isolated certain pools of DNA that began to, then the dominant traits in that DNA began to multiply. And and that DNA begins to take on different physical characteristics. We're all one race. We're all some tone of brown. Genetically, we are 99.5% the same and the world wants to categorize us and divide us on half a percent of difference. But in the church, well here's what we say, we don't want to be a white church, we don't want to be a black church, we want to be a biblical church because we want to look like heaven and Revelation says that all nations, tribes, and tongues are all together in heaven saying God is our salvation. We want to be a biblical church. So what's our stance on race? A biblical one. You're my brother. You're my sister, and I recognize that the world has done some damage and some hurt, and we're sensitive to that, but we are all one race. We are all children of God, so the kingdom of God actually unites us. So racism is a sin, racism is unjust, racism grieves the heart of God, and we wanna be a biblical church that looks like heaven. That was last week. If you wanna get caught up on that, you can get it online, newlife 4 Today, uh, counterculturally, I wanna talk about your kids. I want to talk about how to, I want to talk about raising kids in Babylon. Raising kids in Babylon. You you see, uh, kids are an essential part. I think kids are close to the heart of God. Jesus says, let the children come to me. And and, uh, our team at New Life, at New Life Kids, is always working to teach and to train the children of our church in the way of Jesus. Did you know that right now our serve team is back there ministering to your children? I'm very specific in how I talk about this because we don't babysit your kids. We don't watch kids. We're raising sons and daughters of the most high God that will be powerhouse, hungry, living for God kind of kids, kind of teens. We don't just take the kids back into the kids' area so they're not a distraction in the church. No, no, no. We are raising up an army of young people. We're putting seed into fertile soil. Kids at New Life Church are a vital part of our church. They're an essential part of our ministry. And countless times when I meet adults out in the marketplace, when I meet adults that are currently unchurched and unconnected to uh, their faith, many, many times these adults, they know the gospel, Though they don't go to church. And how is that so? Because many, many, many times when I meet adults outside of the church, they tell me, well, I was raised in church. I had a grandmother, a granddad, and they dragged me to church. Come on. And in doing so, they know the gospel. They can recall what they were taught as a child. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, there was a show on MTV called uh, 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 The Real World. It is not moral or wholesome. I was watching it behind my parents' back. I'm sorry, Mom. And uh, my brother and I would watch this show when my parents weren't around. On this one particular show, uh, if you don't know the show, that's great, you don't need to know the show. But it's a reality it's a reality TV show they get these young people together, young adults um, and they put them all to live in one house and it's just it's just a party scene lots of immorality going on and and i I don't even really know the point of the show other than just to be just a moral cesspool honestly it's, it's, it, and so uh, but I was watching this show as a teenager and it was you know uh, and I remember this one scene the 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 cast of this show were out partying, going from bar to bar and the obviously they're being recorded for TV. As they're passing through uh, this downtown area, there was a gazebo in the downtown areas. They're going from one bar to the next. At the gazebo on MTV, in this reality TV show, there was a group of Christians that set up at that gazebo in that downtown area, and they were singing worship songs late at night during the bar scene. And this cast member on MTV is passing by to go to the next bar, and she hears a song. And you might remember this song, too. It goes, Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. He's taken me from the mighty clay, set my feet upon the rock, and now I know. Right? She hears this group singing that song. And immediately, on MTV, this girl begins to weep. And she said, I remember that song from when my parents used to take me to church. Oh, and I remembered that when I was a youth pastor one day. Because I was like, what is it going to take to get these teenagers to get real about their faith. And I remember what I saw on that show all those years ago. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and that basically just said, don't quit because they may not hear you now, but they will hear you later. When their life hits rock bottom, all of a sudden that the Holy Spirit will bring something to their memory and they'll be like, oh, I had this crazy youth pastor one day in Indianapolis and I don't remember his name, but I remember that he said that Jesus was chasing me down and that his goodness was for me and not against me. And In their darkest moment, the Holy Spirit will recall something that was said, listen, this is our goal when we minister to young people is to plant seed and to sow seed into their hearts. And sometimes they won't hear us in the moment but we pray that they will hear us when it matters. And I meet people out in the community that say, I don't go to church, and I've been to church for a long, long time, but my granddaddy took me to church. And they can recall stories from the Bible because there's that seed in there. And one day, one day it becomes fertile. And so listen, if you want to help join us in making that kind of difference in young people, the kind of difference that they may not hear us now, but one day there is something that was planted that God fertilized in their adulthood, then I, I, we need you, we need you. If you have that kind of heart, if you feel like God's pressing something in your spirit for kids, will you join our team? We've got an awesome team of, of people that are serving our kids and serving our teens. Would you consider giving an hour and a half of your time on the weekend? to make that kind of difference in a young person's life. If, that's what, if you wanna help us in that, you just come find me and I can see to it that you can make that kind of difference in a child's life. Generations are changed in kids' ministry. So how do we raise kids in Babylon? You see, in 600 B.C., uh, Judah, Judah is God's people. It was about 1100 BC that northern Israel and and the southern kingdom split. And so we had Israel on the north and Judah on the south and uh, Judah's kingdom, and it was split. And Judah uh, remained faithful to the Lord, although the northern kingdom did not. And Judah is where Jerusalem is. Uh, They had neighbors that occasionally, like neighbors like the Assyrians, neighbors like the Babylonians, they were constantly attacking Judah constantly attacking them. And occasionally, God would allow the the Hebrew people, the people of Judah, to be conquered by these neighboring nations due to their disobedience to him. And God wanted his children to learn that if they wouldn't follow him, then, then he would let the world have them. And in 600 BC, this is one of those times, the Babylonians invaded Judah And and people were killed, and people were captured. uh, There was this group of young people, likely teenagers, and they were taken into captivity. And Daniel and others that we know, mostly know them by their Babylonian-given names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken to Babylon because they wanted to take the most handsome and the strongest of the Hebrews into their own. So let's look at Daniel chapter one, verse one. This is what it says. It says, during the third year of King uh, uh I just make up names sometimes when I read the Bible. And what I have found is that if you just say it with confidence, everybody goes, yeah, I don't know how to say it either, okay? And so we're all just gonna do that together sometime, and it's gonna be a great time. So during this king's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King KJ (laughs) and of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered uh, Ashpenaz, His king of staff, don't you chuckle. His chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, healthy, and good looking young men. And I think you all qualify, all you fellows, you all qualify in my eyes so that I get to stay behind. You all qualify. And he said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the four young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff then renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called uh, Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. And all these names, and their Hebrew names, pointed to God. All their Babylonian names pointed to Babylonian gods. So let's treat them with all of our finest stuff. Let's give them a taste from our kitchen, a taste of our world, and let's teach and train them to act, talk, look like us. Yeah. You see, are we going to allow culture to change us or are we going to help change culture? Are we going to allow culture to influence us which is what is happening even now, today, even in churches, we're we we're expected to change what we believe in order to fit culture, and it is counterintuitive. But God didn't mean that. That's not for today, and, or are we going to together stand in faith? Now when I grew up, we didn't have cable TV. Uh... And then uh, my dad discovered that somehow there was one cable outlet in our house that somehow was active with cable. So I grew up where, like, we had the rabbit ears. Y'all know, I know a lot of y'all know rabbit ears. We had a little radio TV with probably about a five-inch screen. It was black and white, and it had rabbit ears. But we could only get signal if we sat out on the front, uh, it was like a uh, it was like a porch, but it's like a like it's like a windowed-in porch. I don't know what you call that. A what? A breezeway. We had a breezeway. <laughs> that sounds special. And I just remember it'd be cold out there, but it's where we could get one single channel if I left my hand on that rabbit ear. <laughs> and me, my brother and I would sit with my dad on the breezeway and watch Home Improvement in black and white. It was awesome. And then we decided, then we found out we had cable, and I, I'm wondering if somehow my dad bootlegged it from the neighbor, I don't know. <laughs> but it only had certain channels, you know. You, or, on the, or on the antenna, you know, the big antenna outside your house that you had to crank the thing to turn to find Yeah, like you, you had like, you know, like two, four, eight, you know, only certain channels well then well then eventually it goes to the cable tv where you get all these channels and cartoons were only on saturday mornings and i love lucy and i remember watching zorro and uh, uh, the the young riders and rin 1010 Tin and you know things like that and uh, uh with cable tv but with cable tv we see this kind of evolving this cultural evolving where we go from i love lucy where they, they slept in separate beds on TV. And, and now, and then it moved to husband and wife together in bed. And then TV went to boyfriend and girlfriend in bed. And then TV went to boyfriend and boyfriend in bed, convincing us that this is normal. Even if it is normal, normal isn't working. Normal is broken. And the big question is, how do we raise kids in this culture? How do we raise kids in Babylon? Daniel and his three friends were younger teens at this time of captivity. I want to look to see what culture tried to do to them. And I think it is, uh, uh, it is parallel to what culture is doing in our kids today. So that's what I mean by raising kids in Babylon. It's how do we raise kids in a culture that is counterintuitive to the kingdom of God. Daniel one three, if you remember, this is what it said. Then the king ordered uh, Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the place some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So they they took these young men out of their home, out of their current culture, and brought them into Babylon. And this is what I want us to know, is that Babylon wants to relocate our kids. Wants to relocate our kids. Once your kids are no longer under your daily care, whether they're at daycare, preschool, elementary school, uh, or until they're not under your care anymore when they leave for college, once they leave, they are inundated with a culture that is pulling hard on them from the things of God. It is a spiritual battle out in the world today. There is a pull on our young people through music and TV and movies and media, all trying to relocate our kids from our influence and convince them that this broken way is normal. And then pressures kids to fit into that normalcy of Babylon. Babylon wants to relocate our kids. And we see it all the time. The pressure for young people to fit in. The pressure for our children to look how the world tells them they should look. And through the influence of media... Our kids are learning what the world says normal is. The, 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 our kids are getting an improper picture of, of who God is and of who they are, of what their identity is. Babylon wants to relocate our kids out of our influence and into theirs. But, uh, Daniel 1, 3, it said, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And the king assigned them to a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Uh, They were trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So not only does Babylon want to relocate our kids out of our influence and into its own, but Babylon also wants to retrain our kids and how to think and how to portray the world. The world wants to indoctrinate our kids into their culture. And if you think hard enough back to when you were young, you can you probably can realize how the influence of the world affected you too. It wants to train our kids on the way to think, on the way to act. It wants to retrain the way they see everything. It does it subtly and it doesn't do it instantly. Daniel, I'm sorry, David, when he was out in the field tending to sheep, he would say, he says, you know, your servant has has slayed both lion and bear. And he says, and when the lion would come and steal a lamb, a lamb at a time, he would slay it. When you have a lot of sheep, not many people would go slay a lion with his bare hands, over a sheep. You crazy, David? You done got a thousand sheep. You're gonna, go, you're gonna go kill that lion with your bare hands for a lamb? Well, David understood how the enemy works. If the enemy tried to, if the enemy tried to come and take the whole thing, he knows that we will rise up and say, you can't have it. So the enemy wants to take a lamb at a time, a lamb at a time. One poor influence at a time, one bad decision at a time. Well, it's just a lamb. It's just a lamb. But if the enemy tried to come and and take your family, he'd know you'd rise up. But he just takes a lamb. He just takes a lamb, and slowly he begins to, with influence, with lies, just one at a time, begins to listen. It's not just about our kids. That's us. A lamb at a time. Well, maybe I don't think the way I used to anymore on that. Oh, Well, maybe I'll just do it a little bit. I wouldn't do that at church, but you know, every once in a while. You know, I've had a rough week. I I've, I've des- I've probably deserve to reward myself with a little bit of this vice that I have. Just a lamb at a time. And Babylon wants to retrain our kids. Some of the enemy's most clever tactics is evading our hearts through what we watch and what we hear. If it's got a good beat, we listen to it. If it's interesting, we watch it, and we soak it all up. The enemy uses media to paint a false picture in our minds of what God looks like, a false picture of what acceptable behavior is, a false picture of what love looks like. And our young men and women have a, the wrong idea of what love is because they've been inundated with the pressure through what they, uh, ex- what they watch and what they listen to. The, 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 the enemy uses media to give us a false picture of what happiness looks like. Happiness must look like those influencers look. Look. It gives us a false picture of standards that make you accepted or to to look cool. But we have to guard our hearts from letting an out-of-whack world tell us what normal is. Moreover, parents and grandparents, it's our responsibility to ensure that we're not giving power to an out-of-whack world to tell our kids what normal is. Because it goes back to part one of this series, what is truth? There is an absolute truth. And I don't say this to be hateful, I say this out of great caution and warning. But we have to guard our hearts from letting out of whack world to tell us what normal life should look like. 98% of people are shaped in some way by media. Whether it's uh, the news we watch, People we follow on social media, music, how however be it. And sometimes we blame God when we are hurting, wondering why He would allow us to, to hap, or why He would allow things to happen to us. But in reality, it's not God, but it is us who has allowed garbage into our lives by letting our lives being shaped by Babylon and not his word. Many of us, we can quote more quotes from movies and more lyrics from songs than we can quote from what the word of God says about our life. Years ago, uh, this would be uh, 10 years ago, um, y'all remember Redbox? (laughs) Remember Redbox? Uh, I remember Redbox was like the new thing. and Redbox put Blockbuster out of business and... uh, and, and now, like streaming has all, probably just about put Redbox out of business. Uh, I saw Redbox the other day. If, you, if you're not familiar, Redbox is this kiosk where you can rent movies from, and you get a DVD out of it. Uh, we don't even have a DVD player at our house anymore. And then, then you return it, and it, it's all digital. But uh, uh, one time, my wife was scrolling through a Redbox for to see if there was a potential movie to bring home and watch as a family. And she was standing there with our son Aiden, who was five years old at the time. And as she's looking through Redbox for a possible movie rental, uh, Aiden speaks up and he says, Hey, mom, as a five year old does. Hey, mom, just remember not to get a movie with bad words or bad things. You have to guard your eyes and your ears. At the same time. And then the five-year-old Aidan says this. You don't want to trick your brain into thinking that something bad is actually good. You see, Babylon wants to retrain your kids. We've got to teach our kids how to guard their heart. Daniel 1-7, this is what it says. The chief of staff... Rename them by these Babylon names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. The third thing is, is that Babylon wants to rename our kids. It wants to give them an alternate identity. The world wants to rename our kids from who God made them to be to who the world wants them to be. So parents, grandparents, people of God, we have to speak life and speak the word of God over our kids and teens so they can know who they are. If you don't label your children with God's identity, the world is willing to label them by theirs. And this is my encouragement to all of us here today all of you parents and grandparents, this is my encouragement, that we can create a culture in our home that is stronger than the culture deceiving our kids. We can do that. We can create a culture in our homes that is stronger than the culture deceiving our kids. And that's not to be to be harsh on them, it's not to lord it over them, it's not to be legalistic with them because that will actually push them into Babylon but to teach them that there is great liberty and freedom that God's way is the best way and to have connectivity and relationship with them, to walk this life out with them, that they don't have to do it alone, they don't have to suffer alone, they don't have to ask questions alone, but they can come to us as their parents, as their main influencers in their life, and say, I'm struggling and I don't know what to do, and we can have that open dialogue without shame, without guilt, without being in trouble. You know, there's this common saying that there's a difference between religion and a relationship with God, and that religion says, I'm in trouble, and, uh, uh, you know, don't tell dad. But relationship is, I'm in trouble, I need to call my dad. And parents, when our kids are in trouble, when they're struggling, we want them, we want to have paid enough relationship into them that they run to us. Because if not, the world is totally willing to help them with their problems. A out of whack world will say, oh come here, actually what you're, what you're feeling is completely normal and you should lean into it. The world wants to retrain our kids. But we can create a culture in our home that is stronger than the culture deceiving our kids. So if Babylon wants to relocate our kids to fit into this world and accept this world as normal, then we need to train our kids that this world is not our home. We are aliens, we are foreigners. We don't get used to it, we don't settle into it. You don't settle in Babylon. You know that Babylon is not your home. You're captive there and you're believing that God will deliver you from Babylon and you'll return to your homeland in Judah someday. You don't settle where you're captive. You don't have to look like Babylon. You don't have to look like this world. You don't have to act like this world. Our aim is not to follow this world and look like this world and talk like this world. Our aim is to follow Jesus who rescued us from all of our sin, eternity in hell, and gave us hope and gave us purpose. Our aim is to follow Jesus whose kingdom is not of this world. And as parents, are you constantly pointing out things in the kingdom of God and of this world or this culture that are inconsistent with the kingdom of heaven? So if Babylon wants to relocate our kids, then we have to train our kids that this world is not our home. This world is not, we are of a kingdom that is not of this world. And if Babylon wants to retrain our kids, then we need to teach our kids how to guard their hearts. So we need to train our kids to guard their hearts. Guard your hearts and minds through being mindful of the media that they have access to. Um, I remember um, when Gray was first born, which means Aiden and Joel were probably three, about to be four years old, um, we finally got to a point where we're like, hey, let's get internet at the house. I think we were bumming it off of a neighbor maybe, I don't know. but we decided to get internet. So uh, I called the, the company. I said, hey, I just want to get internet at the house. And, uh, said, and they tried to, you know, tried to sell me all these cable packages. I'm like, I'm like, don't want cable, internet only. And then he's like, well, if we bundle and save, you see, we can get you basic cable and internet for cheaper than only internet. I'm like, you got me at cheaper. So let's do cheaper. So cheaper was add basic cable. So, so now we have basic cable in the house and, and we had never had cable in the house uh, in our marriage yet. And uh, I remember uh, like, okay, let's see what this is about. And so like uh, one night, you know, we're getting dinner ready, whatever. And, and we're like, let's, let's check this out. So we turn it on a kid's channel. And the kids are watching some kid's show. It was harmless, it was fine. And then like the co- a commercial came on. And because we had been far removed from the idea of watching cable TV, now, like, as a dad, uh, I'm watching my, my two three-year-olds, my twins, three-year-olds, sitting in front of a TV like this. <laughs> and I see the, the glow of the TV on their face, so I walk out to see what they're watching. And they're watching a commercial. And this commercial is for some kind of toy. Uh, and, and then my, one of my kids, he goes, I need that. I kind of had an epiphany. I kind of had like a, a moment <laughs> where I was like, all right. If that toy salesman knocked on my front door and said, hey, Mr. Galloway, uh, if you don't mind, I would like 30 seconds alone with your children in your life with you, you, with you not present or your wife. Uh, why do you want 30 seconds alone with my kid? Because I want to convince them to buy my stuff. I think every parent would say, get lost. You're not coming into my house. You're not getting 30 seconds alone with my child every hour. You're not getting it. And I'll tell you right now, at my house, no media channel ever gets access to my kids alone in their bedroom. It's in the living room that we do that stuff. where all can see. So, I'd be, so I, I'm like watching my three-year-olds just inundated by a commercial. Of adults that have a planned marketing strategy for my three year olds. I said, uh uh-uh. uh. I was so, so uncomfortable with that. And when I went, because I, it was like the first experience with it. You see, it is said, and studies show that what you believe when you're 13, you will most likely die believing and multimedia marketers understand this concept and they have determined what they call in this marketing monster the branding age that they want to brand our kids by a certain age so they become lifelong spenders in their brands and so they they know the branding age is guess what 13 years old this is common this is common information you can find elsewhere. I'm not making this up. So to have, to brand a kid by 13, they have to start when they're younger. And so there is a, uh, for instance, one company called Viacom, they have a cradle-to-grave strategy for your kids. And inside of all their brands that this, this umbrella company owns, inside of their brands, are things like Nick Jr., Nickelodeon, Nick at Night, MTV, VH1, Comedy Central, BET, Logo, Paramount, Showtime. They own it all. And they have a plan to take our culture from cradle to grave in their brand with their messaging, retraining our kids. They're retraining you. Yeah. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our hearts. That's is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. Now, I don't want you to think for a second, man, pastor today is telling us we all need to be Amish. <laughs> I, I grew up in Amish country in Ohio, and Amish is what my dad called us when we were grounded. <laughs> He'd be like, you're Amish for the next 14 days. In other words, I had no electricity. No radio, no TV, no video games, no computer, nothing. No, no Game Boy, Amish. I didn't have to walk to school, though, or horseback, go by horseback. But I'm not saying be Amish. I'm not saying... Oh, the the devil's in the TV. I'm not saying if there's a TV in your house, if there's a smartphone in your pocket, that you're following the devil and you're in the way of Babylon. What I'm telling you is, above all else, would you guard your heart? Would you guard your heart? Will you help guard your kids' hearts, your grandchildren's hearts? Because someone has to do it for them at this age. They need a caring adult to help filter Babylon and tell them this world is not our home. Guard your heart. And if Babylon wants to rename our kids, then we need to train our kids to know who they are in Christ. Who they are in Christ. Our kids need to know who they are in Christ, that they are children of the most high god that they are joint heirs with jesus christ that they are so precious to their creator that he sent his only son jesus to die for their sins so that they could have relationship with him he loves them with an everlasting love we need to to give our kids some names we need to give our kids some identity We need to give our kids some phrases that they know who they are, that they can say, I am a new creation in Christ. I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. I am redeemed. I am renewed. I am God's treasured possession. I am an heir. I'm an ambassador. I'm more than a conqueror. I've been set apart. I am called. I am complete. I am loved. I am chosen. I'm forgiven. I'm empowered. I'm free. I'm a child of God. We need to tell our kids, who they are, so that when the out-of-whack world says, this is who you need to be, this say, ah, I'm a child of God. I am called. I am blessed. I am the first and not the last. I am blessed. I am not cursed. I am forgiven. I am free. I am loved. I am chosen. I am complete. We need to tell our kids this. They need to know who they are in Christ. When Babylon comes, tries to rename our kids, They need to know who their name is. They need to know who they are. They need to know, because the world wants to label you. The world wants to give you new identity. The world wants to tell you. He said, nuh-uh. I may have screwed up, yes, but I'm forgiven. Yeah, yeah, I may have struggled, but I'm still a child of God. I've been redeemed. I'm free. I've been liberated. Parents, do not give your spiritual authority away to others. Be a parent of faith. And confidence. Don't give your spiritual authority away to me. Don't give your spiritual authority away to a serve team member. Pick up the mantle of being a parent, a grandparent. Now you have spiritual authority in your family. And I know that sometimes in a message like this, we are reminded of some of the failures we've made as a parent. Because we all have. Maybe we think about times, man, I was too harsh. I was too harsh. I had good intentions. I was just too harsh. Or times, I ah, oh, I was too passive. I didn't say enough. I didn't coach him enough. I didn't, I didn't say it. I didn't say enough. Oh, I didn't pray enough. Yeah, we, we, we can be so hard on ourselves as parents the good news is there ain't one perfect parent in this room, y'all. My parents had great intentions and great mistakes. And I the same. But what I want to encourage you with, parents and grandparents, is God is not looking for perfect parents. He's looking for courageous and faithful parents who are willing, with repentant and humble hearts, to pass on a legacy Of redemption, holiness, and wisdom. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to end this morning in prayer. If you are currently raising kids in your home, you have children under the age of eight, they're eighteen or younger, they're in your home. Would you just lift up your hand right where you are. You're currently raising kids in your home. Look at all these hands. Now with these hands raised, well, we'll let's pray for every parent that is raising kids in their home right now. We, come on church, we help join me in prayer. God, I pray for every parent in this room that is currently has the mantle of God in their life to lead their children. God, I pray that you would move parents with the heart of God to pray for their kids on a regular basis. May married people pray together for their kids. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom. Give them knowledge. Lord, I pray for that, that you would give them gr- the grace they need to lead their family well. I pray that you would inspire them, God, with godly vision for their family. Give them the words to speak in difficult moments. Give them the boldness to stand for what is right. Give them the heart of love to love and forgive and allow their children to make affordable mistakes and to learn from them without being harsh, without being overbearing, without lording it over them, but that as parents, we would be an example of Christ's love, Christ's forgiveness, and his mercy, and also protection. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to protect our kids. And Lord, right now, I pray for anyone's child, whether whether they are at home or they are grown and on their own, for any children, Lord, that have gone astray, that, have, that are like the prodigal son that we read in the parable in the Gospels. We pray for every, every child, son and daughter, that is a prodigal, that has, gone, that has drifted from the path. You see them, Lord. You see them. Your heart is for them. God, we pray to the Lord of the harvest that you would send laborers in their pathway. God, would you visit them in their dreams at night, that you would begin to call them back unto you. Lord, we pray for their protection wherever they are. We pray for those that are bound with anxiety and depression. We pray for those that have drifted and have addiction issues. We pray for those that have drifted and have denounced your existence altogether. God, we pray that the grace and love of God would, would just overcome their lives, that that you would woo them back to you. May you protect them in the places that they are. Will you protect them in dark places and would you send a a, a kingdom-minded person in their path that will love them and embrace them and not shame them and not guilt them. But but it's because we understand that your scripture says it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And Lord, may the kindness of God reach Those that have now strayed away from the path. Lord, maybe you would remind them of something that was said long ago. And the pastor or leader or or family member, they, they may not even remember their name. But the word of God remains still in their life. That they would hear your voice still in a moment of suffering. And they will return back to you. And, Lord, we finish this morning by praying for every child and grandchild that is connected to New Life Church, every child and grandchild, Lord, that we know, Lord, we pray that, Lord, while we are temporarily in Babylon, this world is not our home. We are to be of another kingdom that supersedes any territory, any boundary. The kingdom of God has no boundaries. The kingdom of God has no territories and no earthly thing, no earthly leader can stop the kingdom of God from reigning and ruling in our hearts. So we pray that that we will help raise kingdom-minded kids. Lord, we pray that we can help teach our children how to guard their hearts from the lies of the enemy. That God, we pray for our children That they will grow to know who they are in Christ. And they don't have to conform to the patterns of this world. They don't have to conform. But there is a call on every one of their lives. Would you protect our kids? Because there are future leaders in the next generation. The hope of Christ is going to shine bright in the next generation. We pray for all of our kids, Lord, that they will love you all the days of their life. And may the word of God be fertile in their hearts. May we help cultivate the soil of their hearts that it would be ready for the seed to germinate and come to fruition in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give God one last round of praise. Come on. You're the best. Lord, you're the best.